I, you know, I'm, I'm white trash, so I guess you can say white <laughs> trash. Like, I feel like uh, casserole is just synonymous with uh, cream of mushroom soup. Like, that mm. is, like, when people think casserole, they think something with cream of mushroom soup. Just the bedrock it. ingredient. Sort yeah. Of. Okay. Yeah. All right. Is that the only time anybody ever uses cream of mushroom soup? Does anybody actually well, have <laughs> Are you just going to eat a bowl of soup? That's, like, that's insane. That's, <laughs> ew, like, no. <laughs> well, I think, yeah, it is. I've never heard of someone eating actually just cream of mushroom soup yeah. by its mouth. I'm, I feel like I'm a good, te- like, I, as someone, maybe we all agree, because, like, we're all comedians. We've all struggled with our <laughs> mental health. Like, I've eaten some, like, sad things alone in my bed, and I've never eaten a cream of anything soup. So I yeah. feel like that's. It's not even a consideration, you know? Yeah. The cream of anything is the canary (laughs) in your mental health coal mine. (laughs) Roughly 24 to 92 hours ago, Stab's team of comedy scientists commissioned three specific humorists to give various potentially comedic takes on several random topics, which they will now perform for the first and likely last time in front of a live studio audience in a show called Stab. The Stab Show is nigh. Get out of the way or get fucked. Let's meet tonight's panel. <laughs> Our first panelist pronounce the image pronounces the image file type GIF as a high-pitched whine only level 16 and above nerds can hear. He's a writer, director, and performer of funny things. It's Nick Pettigrew. Our second panelist's great. Uh, hold on. Our second panelist's greatest trick was convincing the devil that she didn't exist. She's an improviser and comedian now residing in the frozen wastes of Illinois. It's Allie Rubin. And our third panelist once jumped a razor scooter over 72 other razor scooters parked side by side. After literally no one better, she couldn't. She's an improviser and stab show regular. It's Christiana. And apparently this intro went way long because the music is already over. I'm your host. <laughs> I'm your host, Jesse Jones. Please do not attempt to operate me if you are currently taking any prescription medications. Hello, everybody. Good evening. Welcome hey. to Stab Show. Hi. Yeah. And uh, now that all of you know all this new information about our panelists, why don't we talk to them a little more and learn something that's actually true? Nick, welcome. Hey. hey. Hi. How you doing? Doing great. How are you? I'm all right. You know, locked up in an empty theater for eight months. <laughs> can I complain? <laughs> I sure can. Uh, <laughs> uh, how's, how's well, I mean, before all this, how was L.A. treating you? You're still down there, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, uh, I'm in therapy, so it's going good. Sure. Um, otherwise, it's just a, a blasted hellscape of torment and regret. But yep. um, it's good. You know, I got a, I have a kid now, so I'm happy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I got out of there, too. So, no, I, I know uh, all of your descriptions. Perfectly accurate. Hellscape. Regret. Yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, tipped you off a little bit earlier to a, a fun fact stab the stab show is full of fun facts um <laughs> until until a couple weeks ago with uh, mark berg uh, i thought we had had a long time between appearances for for guests uh he was a little over five years <clears throat> until, until a couple weeks ago. oh 
Oh, uh oh, somebody's coming back through. Uh, that's all right. <laughs> oh no, I'm gonna ignore it because hearing my own voice makes me sick. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, Mark Berg had a had quite a stretch there of five five years. The last time Nick Pettigrew was on the show, September seventeenth, twenty fourteen, over six years. Um, no reflection we at all. So, we were all so young. Then. I know, right? So oh yeah. Yeah, I was still in my twenties. Man, and this this gap obviously no reflection uh, on uh, uh, on our uh, enjoyment of your first appearance. Um, <laughs> it absolutely was on Mark's first appearance. <laughs> no, that's not, that's mean. No, uh, <laughs> time just gets away, and then you moved away, and then it's a whole thing. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, that's it's the one positive that's come out of this uh, additional layer of hellscape on top of the regular hellscape that we can now reach out. Uh, beyond space and time to uh, be reconnected with old friends. Yeah, it's very nice. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking sort of of that, uh, is Allie Rubin, our second panelist. Hey, Allie. Hi. Wait, I reached across space and time? Well, I mean, at very least space, and you're a couple time zones, so we'll count that. That's um, true. Hey, Allie. I I could play it off like, hey, old friend Allie, uh, we never actually interacted <laughs> that much oh. <laughs> while you were still here. Uh, you come as a, as a wonderful uh, suggestion of a, of a guest uh, by uh, Michelle Petro. Um, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy to have you. I'm always happy to have new folk here. I'm looking forward to, uh, to seeing what you, what you done did. Hope you, hope you had fun with the prompts. Yeah, I did. And I'm happy to be here. And I'm also happy. I mean, to be fair, let's be clear. The reason why we didn't hang out a lot was mm. because I was terrified of everyone, <laughs> <laughs> especially you. Oh. So now I'm glad that we're at the place where mm. like, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, most of my standoffishness uh, usually comes from just me not wanting to be where I am at any given moment. So... <laughs> I, I understand that feeling. So yeah. yeah, it's it's usually nothing against anybody around me. It's just uh, <laughs> I could be at home, uh, sitting perfectly still and not interacting with anyone. And really, I'll take that nine times out of ten. So, <laughs> uh, how's how's Chicago? How, you made that move how long ago? Uh, four years ago. Okay. Uh, and I'm actually getting. I know uh, time is. Uh, yeah. uh, a grim master who will kill us all. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm actually starting to slowly try and make my way back to California at oh. some point. So, yeah, we'll see. I don't mm. know. Chicago's very cold and dark, like uh, the inside of an igloo. Sure. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, California's dark in a different kind of way. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, we all seem to agree on that. Uh, I would stay away. But you know what? Welcome back if you decide to make that <laughs> <laughs> make that choice. You know, I'm gonna have. Thank a you. Oh, I'll, I have a pro con list. I'll see where <laughs> sure. we're at right now. <laughs> I'm gonna try and have a sunnier outlook on life with Christiana. Hey, Christiana, how are you? Super good. Sure. Yes, I'm great. I'm drinking out of my. Um, I love Mazithra mm. souvenir old spaghetti factory glass. I think it's still open in Midtown, but who knows? <laughs> I think. Uh, <laughs> I, I, oh, I, well, I don't know. Who knows about that? I was, I, the more important part is, uh, I think I've gone there with uh, La and her folks a couple times. Isn't um, Zithra like the the like baked buttery sort of uh, super crazy nonsense pasta? 
It's a good it's, yeah, it's the brown butter and the yeah. cheese, and I don't even know what kind of cheese it is. I mean, it has a name, it's Mizithero, but I don't know if that's a real thing or something they made up. <laughs> and why is it some, it's like Greek, but it's at an Italian-ish restaurant. Uh, whatever it is, food tastes better in a retrofitted train station. That's a that's, fact. Yeah, it's been proven. Brown butter makes everything amazing. I didn't Brown know that Brown your butter next then, time but, yeah. you make Rice Krispie treats. Ooh, all right. From uh, <laughs> from casseroles to Rice Krispie treats, this show has a little something for a very narrow sliver no. of the population. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even cook that much anymore, so I don't know like why I'm so down with the Like I'm trying to turn into Stab does cooking show. <laughs> you know but, what? Um, uh, there's still plenty of room on the calendar. You bring that to there's, me. The <laughs> only time I go out is to the grocery store. There's nowhere else to go. Yeah. Uh, so. As well, most people should. And then this three weeks actually would have lasted three weeks and not eight months. <laughs> Fun. <laughs> All right. Yeah. yeah. I oh. want my freedom. Yeah. Things sure. still haven't changed that much for me, really. I feel bad for everybody else. Uh, <laughs> All right. Let's get into the heat of the meat. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how much meat goes into either Rice Krispie Treats or casseroles, so uh, I'll leave that up to you guys. Um, segment one is where we generally start the show because, and you can argue with me, uh, one is where you start, not zero. So we start with uh, start with segment one. I mean, uh, it's it can be argued. Uh, but I will fight you. Reorganization. Uh, please take the following acronym and reimagine it. Who or what might it now represent? The world sometimes seems a little... Well, we covered this. Fucked. <clears throat> that might be a pessimistic view, or it might just be entirely an entirely accurate observation based on clearly recognizable patterns of behavior repeated for centuries and only seeming to trend downward. Or... I can just have a case of the Mondays, right, guys? You silly. <laughs> Either way, <laughs> the good folk at the U.S. Army have a catchy little acronym that sums up some of this feeling pretty well. FUBAR. Fucked up beyond all repair. Uh, but let's try to be more optimistic, uh, shall we? Everything can be fixed, right? So give me something else you think F-U-B-A-R, FUBAR, could stand for or represent to you i gotta check real quick it sounded like somebody oh max eddie welcome max eddie rated us welcome to the stab show max and crew welcome you guys in the chat you take care of them i gotta do the show uh <laughs> nick Pettigrew. oh you guys showed up at exactly the right time didn't learn anything about us just getting <laughs> into the actual comedic content of the show perfect i that's where i tell everybody to come in start every episode at about 12 minutes and you'll be fine uh, <laughs> let's get to it. Nick Pettigrew. <clears throat> what does FUBAR, F-U-B-A-R, uh, stand for or represent to you? Uh, to me, it is festive until belligerent alcoholics relapse. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, basically, uh, we use FUBAR to describe any point in the Pettigrew family holiday <laughs> when things take a downward turn, you know? Like, everything was merry and bright until Uncle Jerry and Aunt Sheila found there was booze in the eggnog. Mm. They met in an AA meeting, and it's never a great idea to form a relationship over shared vices. 
Anyways, that's when it went foobar. Next thing we know, Jerry's trying to pick a fight with Grandpa's ashes, and Sheila's having a moment of drunken clarity where she realizes her best years are behind her, so she's trying to tell all the nieces not to blow a comedy magician because the most impressive trick they can pull is how fast they can ruin your credit and disappear, leaving you with dead rabbits and the clap. Another classic Pettigrew family foobar moment. <laughs> oh, those Pettigrews. <laughs> Oh, it's like a vacation movie. <laughs> Thank you, Nick. No. Uh, Allie, it's your first thing on the show. Do not fuck this up. No, I'm <laughs> Allie, welcome. Welcome. Oh, my with, God. <laughs> with, with open arms. Welcome. Uh, Allie, what does F-U-B-A-R stand for to you? Well, I have a story about that. I remember when I got the call, someone needed a bee tamer and I was the only one who could do the job. Here's how you break a bee's spirit. First, you take away its food. Bees like to eat nectar and pollen. Did you know that some bees store nectar in an elastic pouch in their gut known as a honey stomach? I thought that was pretty cool. Second, you need to tell them something that will make them sad. I Googled what do bees like to do and Google said bees like to eat nectar and pollen. Some bees store nectar in an elastic pouch in their gut, known as a honey stomach. I was getting nowhere fast, but I took away the bees' nectar and pollen. The bees hated this. They began to sting me a lot. I said, I am going to take away your nectar and pollen, and you will dislike this, because some of you store nectar in an elastic pouch in your gut, known as a honey stomach. One of the bees started to scream. As I collapsed on the ground, I knew I had to leave a warning for whoever came after me to try to control the bees. After all, they were crazy about nectar and pollen, and some of them like to store nectar in an elastic pouch in their gut, known as a honey stomach. I could only trace five letters in all the pollen I dropped. Fubar. Forever unbroken bees are roaming. <laughs> oh, thank you, Allie. Uh, we'll probably try and get you back within five years. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much. Forever unbroken bees. <laughs> oh no, they're roaming. <clears throat> Christiana, finish up reorganization with your take on FUBAR, F-U-B-A-R. So FUBAR stands for finally Uncle Bernard ate the rabbit. So okay. it's kind of, a, it's sort of like a Britishism, like a euphemism uh, thing that's really best analogized to trying something that once scared you, like you finally gathered your confidence and mind your moxie and stared that challenge in the face. And then you realize that you really should not have done that or wasted all that confidence on that particular issue. So it's sort of a, sort of like a history nerd people know this, but it comes from the late 1930s when there was a famous British radio star named Bern. They say Bernard, not Bernard, Bernard. Bernard Tucklesnips participated in these war bond ad campaigns. <laughs> Look at Nick. Uh, where, where he famously said, well, I'll eat it if it means more for our boys and less for Fritz. So he ate all these things ranging from like eggless wartime cake to a secondhand carrot. Oh, I know they got that, but he refused to eat rabbits because of he had this like beloved childhood pet, right? Mm. So he was eventually convinced because they had all this research, like BBC research that they could increase war bond sales like fivefold if he finally paid off this lingering unused punchline of him eating rabbits. So he did. 
Um, he choked on a rib, and they didn't manage to cut the mic in time. It was bad. It just heard, like, thumping and wheezing. It was gross. So so next time you think, like, that was a bad idea, just remember, finally, Uncle Bernard ate the rabbit and sound more elegant with your, like, I knew moment. <laughs> Christiana with a yeah very very British sounding. <laughs> Finally, Bernard ate the rabbit. He did. Oh, these. Ah, it does sound like regret. And you know what? I don't need to sum it up. You did. How about we move on? <laughs> you did it much better than me. Uh, that's segment one. Uh, Fubar reorganization. Let's move into a much more tasteful area. Uh, segment two: the bathroom wall. Um, I enjoy, enjoy this one. Public bathrooms are some of the greatest canvases of our nation's deepest thinkers. So much inspiration comes from the isolation of a place you had hoped never to have to be. It's poetic, which is probably why the things you find on bathroom walls are always so moving. So this week, each of you, please give me three pieces of graffiti, crude carvings, sharpie drawings, whatever that you might find on the bathroom walls of Hollywood. The institution, state of mind, big, weird, intangible thing that is Hollywood. So, one at a time, we'll go one at a time around three times. We got this. So, Nick, what is the first thing uh, that you've found on the walls, the bathroom stall walls of Hollywood? Well, the first thing I found was... uh it's a series of Laker graffiti, so it's just uh, uh, that have been scratched out and rewritten depending on the year. So it's almost like marking your child's height on the wall. You can track whether the Lakers have sucked or are good in any particular time period. Um, so it's nice. You know, you, you can uh, do some, some history, sports history, yeah. while you take a dump. <laughs> while you're trying to squeeze out them them ribs or, or wangs, you just <laughs> see, oh, yeah. Yeah. Those like rabbit cat. ribs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, they do not go down smooth. Uh, <laughs> Allie, uh, what's your first item found on the bathroom walls of Hollywood? Um, my first uh, thing on the bathroom wall is just a very simple sentence scribbled in black Sharpie. And it says, for a good time, spelled T-H-Y-M-E, mm-hmm. call me Emerald. I am Emerald, and I would love to be in a big Hollywood movie. <laughs> oh, Emerald. Oh, mm. <laughs> uh, Oregon, no, Emerald, no. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, Christiana, please make people immediately forget what I just did. With your first thing found on the walls of the bathroom in Hollywood. In, uh, written in that 90s Mac color vamp. It says, Lindsay Lohan is still here. <laughs> nice. So it was here. Still. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can't get rid of Lindsay. She's, I mean, we tried, but you can't. Uh, <laughs> she, she can't be killed. <laughs> Nick, item two on the bathroom walls of Hollywood. All right, next thing I say is... Uh, it's a sticker of a bearded white guy with a backwards baseball cap screaming, and there's a QR code. Now, this is the kind of guerrilla marketing that will really make a podcast blow up. And, well, it should, because this is a podcast about a bunch of white guys willing to tell it like it is, raw and unfiltered with truth bombs like this. 
comedy is dying because of political correctness. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to say it, but it's true. That's why Joe Rogan moved to Texas. Oh, man. So, so many collections of exactly three white men mm -hmm. sitting around uh, explaining the world to everyone else. Beard and backwards cap, not optional. Uh, <laughs> Allie, item two on your Hollywood bathroom walls. Item two is also written in black Sharpie. And it says, hi again, Emerald here. Bam. That's the noise I would make if I were in a Transformers movie. Here's what I'm thinking. I play myself, beloved celebrity chef Emeril, but sometimes I turn into a little red car that likes to drive around and give gumbo to hungry firefighters. Just promise me you'll think about it, okay? Man, that is that is Florida ceiling Emeril pander. <laughs> Unless he's, he could be a small, small writer. No, it's just big block letters. You no, know. it's it's big and it's sad. <laughs> you can start seeing like the last couple words. The shaking is just clear in the writing. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Christiana, item two on your uh, walls of the the mythical great big thing that is Hollywood. In a way that. In a, in a particular handwritten font that would also convey this tone, mm -hmm. your therapist... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. What sort... Okay, now I've got... I've just got to, like, thumb through the Rolodex of fonts in my mind. <laughs> what is the most... I mean, you know, in my mind, you can see, like, your mom. Like, yeah. however, that's... It just says that, but it just says your therapist. Your therapist. <laughs> What is the most sassy, sarcastic font that I can think of? <laughs> I don't know. Wingdings. That wouldn't translate. Uh, <laughs> Nick, you're third of three uh, bathroom walls in ho Hollywood. All right. It's another sticker because there's a lot of self-promotion going on in bathrooms that in Hollywood. Sense. And it's for the Wayward Star Spirituality, Spirituality Group with the tagline, Live Your Dreams. At Wayward Star Spirituality, they want you to be the best you. Mm -hmm. How? Tell them all your, your deepest secrets, fears, and flaws. They're going to use it all to make you better and not use it as blackmail so that you'll keep quiet about our group that is definitely not a sex cult. <laughs> they would never take, a take advantage of actors. A group of people so strong-minded with a sense of self that they're willing to be and do whatever you tell them so long as you like them. <laughs> <laughs> the most well-adjusted people on the planet <laughs> are actors. <laughs> they don't run around. They don't run away from small-town rural America, <laughs> expecting just showing up. They'll find their dreams and finally find something that has been missing their entire lives. Yeah. <laughs> A little something called dad's acceptance. All right. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Allie, uh, your third Hollywood wall decoration. Okay, so this one's also written in black Sharpie. Um, and it says, Dear Michael Bay, it's me again, Emerald. Look, I got this surgery that helps me turn into a car. Right now it's not fully complete, but I did replace my stomach with a car engine, which is nice because I don't need to eat anymore. I do need to drink two gallons of unleaded gasoline every morning, but it's worth it even if it's pretty expensive. Thanks, Michael Bay. Please call me. Bam. 
<laughs> oh, the journey that Emerald went on. Oh, or <laughs> now I, I didn't think I could feel worse for Emerald, but I, you somehow made it happen, Allie. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Christiana, let's wrap up Bathroom Walls with your third of three. Um, Written in, of course, the ubiquitous black Sharpie. It just says, screenplay behind tank. If they didn't want people to use that black sharpie, they should not have attached it to the door. Mm. With a string. It's been reattached. You know what? Uh, bathroom wall. <laughs> From the walls of the uh, the greater thing that is Hollywood. That's segment two. Segment three. Why do I always sound like confused or surprised? <laughs> you know what? Uh, <laughs> segment three. Confident. Self-assured. Uh, <laughs> it's review it. Uh, lots of people I know don't make decisions on things without first hearing how others might have felt about their experiences with them. Reviews, I think they're called. Reviews can raise up or completely dash a person, place, or thing. <clears throat> you wield that kind of power! The power to change the very course of history with your very opinions! That's why, in Review It, I ask you to write a review for the following things in the style of the respective outlets. So... Use your power wisely. Nick Pettigrew. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> Nick Pettigrew. Uh, give us a Game Informer review of a baby. I, I am three years into baby and I can't stop playing. <laughs> Legally, I'm required to continue playing baby. <laughs> baby is incredibly frustrating to start and not for beginners. First off, the character creation is completely random, so you just get the baby you get. Fortunately, my baby was adorable, but sometimes you can get a real uggo and starting over with a new baby is a hassle. There are no tutorials, no intro to slowly guide you through baby. You're just given a baby in one objective. Don't let baby die. Fortunately, there's a huge online community of baby players who will give you all the advice you need. Also, strangers and family will feel the need to tell you what you're doing wrong with baby even when you don't ask. The good news is that Baby is pretty simple for the first year or so. There are a few basic daily tasks, feed, clean, nap, whatever, <laughs> which are surprisingly endearing even though they're monotonous. It really isn't until Baby starts moving that the difficulty curve gets really steep. Uh, I should also mention at this point Baby is a time suck. Uh, I'm three years in and I'm nowhere near the end game. Pretty much every waking moment is dedicated to Baby. Uh, it's so addictive that even when I'm at work, I'm thinking about Baby. Some people will tell you you can manage to play baby and have a social life, but I think those people just suck at playing baby. Um, <laughs> I don't even know that for sure because there's no score playing baby. It's truly an ama—it's truly amazing how many different narrative choices there are and, and decisions there are to make with baby, but I still don't know how the choices I make are going to affect baby in the future. And that brings me to the most frustrating part about baby. There are no saves. Once baby starts, it just keeps going, even if you're not actively playing. Every decision and action is permanent in baby. There's no reloading and trying again. In conclusion, baby is the single most frustrating experience I've ever had. It's long and almost impossibly difficult, and I have no idea if I'm even playing baby right. 
baby is also the most is also the most rewarding and fulfilling thing I've ever done. I've been to the top of Azeroth and bested Cthulhu himself, but that isn't nearly as rewarding as hearing baby call you dad. I'd keep going and continuing this review, but baby is trying to cut our cat's hair, so I need to wrap it up. Literally, that is why I stopped writing this. Uh, final score, 9 out of 10. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Nick Pettigrew's Game Informer review of a baby. Oh, all right. Uh, what are you doing next week, Nick? Uh, <laughs> hanging out with my kid. Uh, okay, all right. Um, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna slice that return time from six years. We'll call it maybe four. Uh, <laughs> Allie, um, give us uh, your or not necessarily your, just an Amazon review of your high school experience. All right. It's in black Sharpie. No, I'm kidding. Uh, boring, unlikable characters and nothing happens. You finish the movie and you're just like, okay. I didn't write that myself. That is a one-star Amazon review of the film Lady Bird. I felt summed up my high school experience better than anything I could write. <laughs> so, sometimes the found objects uh, just work just as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh god uh i almost I, I never did watch Lady Bird. i almost want to watch it just so i can see that uh thrift town that doesn't exist anymore uh, <laughs> it's so sad miss thrift town more than i missed watching that movie <clears throat> thank you ally that sounds about right uh <laughs> christiana uh oh okay um <laughs> give us a review for the afterlife that you bought on Wish. One star. Save your money. I tried Wish after losing out on multiple eBay auctions for something kind of more nirvanal or like reincarnative in type. So the listing for this one said same quality as name brand, but I'm not sure what brand they were even really talking about. For one thing, the gates were at best mother of pearl. Okay, look, which I actually prefer to the real pearl because like there's colors in there that go with everything. But in this case, I mean, come on, they're just like betraying expectations right off the bat. And I'm sorry, but the guy guarding this mother of pearl gate was just a dead Securitas guy named Marcus, not even St. Michael and not even a dead Pinkerton, which is like the standard in extra municipal community policing. I didn't say a good standard, but it's definitely like the standard. Also, Milk and honey was supposed to be a thing, right? Well, then don't give me Diet Dr. Thunder and agave syrup. Like, that's not even one step down. That's way down. So you can just assume the rest, right? There's no fluffy cloud beds. It's just polyfill from a Joanne clearance sale. Instead of harp music, it's all viola, which is a string instrument, but, like, not even a violin. It's just distracting. So my suggestion is maybe try like an Amazon or even a Walmart afterlife instead. Amazon's ones may have nothing but like whole food options. Um, but, you know, I mean, Walmart will be a little bit sketch, but their great value stuff isn't really that bad in a pinch if you really didn't get around to all that um, stuff like accomplished in life that you meant to. <laughs> there it is. Oh. It's only the second one we've done, but I love uh, do, love getting reviews for wish items because everybody gets it. 
Oh, and yet I keep going back and scrolling. Oh, I could get all these pins. Those are cool. Uh, <laughs> a dollar? Shit. All right, I'll get more. Uh, <laughs> uh, that was review it. Uh, thank you uh, all <laughs> for, for doing so well. Uh, segment four, Versus v Versus. We trot this out every now and then. Schools, follow me on this, schools wouldn't have bike racks if they didn't want easily identifiable landmarks for bullies to conveniently schedule fights by. Science fact. We as human beings love to think of who or what would win in imaginary fights between when and how, and so it's with this equally indisputable science fact in mind that I'd like you to explain to me, in any way that makes sense to you, what would happen in a skirmish between these specific foes. Who would win? How? And why? I'm not sure where this came from, Nick, but please. <laughs> There's always one whimsical one, at least. Uh, <laughs> please g give us the results <clears throat> of this classic, classic showdown. Who would win in a fight between Mount Rushmore come to life versus chimpanzees with a space program? <laughs> All right. So... A result of the great outpouring of psychic energy following the 2020 election, the faces of Mount Rushmore shook themselves awake with the singular desire of every United States president, murder and oppression. Slowly, the great mountain trudged its way towards Washington, D.C., towards Washington, D.C., leaving a snail trail of destruction in its wake. Meanwhile, the hardworking chimps of the Space Force were busy prepping for another rocket launch amidst the hundreds of wrecked rockets and shattered chimp corpses of failures past. It is said if you give an infinite number of chimps typewriters and time, they will reproduce the works of Shakespeare. Well, if you give them rockets, eventually they will get to the moon. <laughs> Suddenly, on the horizon, Mount Rushmore appeared. What great government waste is this, grumbled Teddy Roosevelt. We must destroy Space Force, thundered Washington. Where are all the black women, asked Jefferson. With all the speed of the federal bureaucracy, Mount Rushmore sprang to action, attacking the Space Force HQ with biting attacks from the four-headed presidential hydra. In a panic, the chimps began pushing all the buttons in the command center. They could do nothing else, for they were nailed to the chairs. Thousands of rockets emerged from the ground with more chimps nailed to chairs inside. Mount Rushmore began a futile game of whack-a-mole, each head slamming to the ground, trying to crush the rockets before they launched. Lincoln expertly deep-throated a rocket without even gagging, but inevitably the rockets started flying, full of feces and fearful chimps. Some rockets shot harmful, harmlessly into the air and exploded, sending chimp debris scattered for miles. Others found their marks, slamming into Mount Rushmore, each hit an exploding pockmark on the faces of our former presidents. When the dust and debris had settled, all that remained of the great mountain were George Washington's fake teeth. Slowly, a single chimp emerged from the debris of his wrecked rocket, his chair still nailed to his pink butt, and raised his hand in victory! <laughs> uh, Nick Pettigrew, <laughs> Mount Rushmore coming to life versus Chimps of the Space Program, exactly as everyone called it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, where are they? Where are they all, Jefferson? Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you, Nick. Uh, Allie, I don't know. Um, <laughs> who would win? Uh, this theoretical grudge match. 
the protagonists of the Babysitter's Club books, who if challenged, uh, you could give me a, a hundred guesses, and I probably wouldn't get uh, two or three of them. Uh, <laughs> the protagonists of the Babysitter's Club books versus, it's a very similar fight, a 30-foot-tall Dean Koontz. I gotcha. Although, to be fair, it would be way creepier if you did know the names of the Babysitter's Club kids. So I'm that glad we don't have to have that talk. Okay. The 30-foot-tall Dean Koontz surveyed the town of Stony Brook, Connecticut, spread out before him like a lox platter at a well-attended shiva. Finally, he didn't have to worry about writing a good story that transcended multiple genres. He just had to worry about smushing people. Smush went one house. Smush went the other. The screams of the people inside the houses were music to his bat-like ears. <laughs> Suddenly, Christy, the head of the babysitter's club, rolled up on her bike. Marianne was already there. Christy, she said, thank goodness you're here. How are we going to defeat the 30-foot-tall Dean Koontz? It's simple, said Christy. We've had the power inside us all along. Oh, said Marianne, is it the power of friendship? No, said Christy. I stole my dad's gun. Let's go shoot Dean Koontz. <laughs> hey, guys, said, Cla said Claudia, rolling up on her bike. I brought my dad's gun. I hope that helps. Stacy showed up. She had diabetes. She said, to you, I also brought my dad's gun. Don't forget about me, said Don. I know the combination to my dad's safe, and I took his gun. Christy looked at Marianne and said, let's kill this man with our guns. The babysitter's club shot Dean Koontz, and he died. The end. <laughs> oh man now i want to read the babysitters club books what are you uh, where were mallory and jesse no they're, too young. they're junior members they're too young <laughs> oh i did think about giving it to you too christiana in a completely sexist way uh <laughs> i feel i feel both seen and boxed in at the same time well but it is to be a woman you know <laughs> Well, just know you have the power inside you all along to stay boxed. Um, <laughs> friendship. Uh, Christiana. <clears throat> Ooh, all right. The, um, uh, the, uh, the um, immovable object and the, uh, the irresistible force. Um, who would win here in uh, this battle between an emotional roller coaster... Versus a standoffish Ferris wheel. First of all, I feel like you jacked a little one of my lines there, but I didn't come at this as a story. I just got to talk it out. So obviously, like you assume, first off, I'm sure after that, the emotional roller coaster has this in a walk because what opponent could possibly anticipate what comes next from it, right? It's up, it's down, it's inside out. It's relying on overly engineered safety systems to combat the physics that would clearly kill anyone if those systems failed. But, you know, like, against a standoffish Ferris wheel, well, the advantage is in the name, right? Like, those cartoons are the big guys, like, holding the little guy by the head, and he's swinging, but he can't reach anything. <laughs> and he just fatigues himself. Because, like, I, I, some metaphorical rides just want to watch the world burn. So, like, that's what the guy's doing when the other guy's fighting. Yeah. But twists, <laughs> they're the same. Oh. <laughs> it is like that whole unstoppable force, immovable object thing. It's a draw. Oh. But their kids are definitely going to need therapy. <laughs> oh. I have to learn to shut up sometimes. Thank you, Christiana. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've done that to you at least twice, like before. So well, that's okay. 
It's good. Stay back to the Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Immovable object, irresistible force, emotional roller coaster, standoffish Ferris wheel. I don't know where. Uh, segment five. Oh, yeah. I know it's the end of the show. All things must end. No one will remember us when we're gone. Where'd that come from? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, segment five. Movie makeup. Uh, yeah. It's movie makeup time, everybody. Uh, fan favorite. Uh, isn't it weird that we used to sit in the dark brushing elbows with complete strangers? Well, we all feverishly mashed popcorn, prepared by barely attended teens, into our faces while staring at a two-story tall Chris Pratt pretending to talk to dinosaurs? <laughs> Guys, strange times to be sure. But in theory, movies will come back again someday, so let's be prepared. Give me the synopses of made-up movies based on the titles spit out to me by various random generators over at our official, unofficial friends at sevensanctum.com. So they have various uh, random uh, writing prompt generators and movie titlers, and I just went hog with uh, <laughs> with all of them, cobbling some of them together. This is a mishmash of madness, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Nick Pettigrew, give us the synopsis of your movie, The Toronto Labyrinth. One man incapable of admitting that he is wrong to his wife, travels the Labyrinthian streets of Toronto, trying to find the Motel 6. Everyone he passes can see his confused, frustrated face, and they all want to help because it's Canada. But he will not allow it. Hours tick by with the family in the car, children urinating and defecating themselves as the father refuses to stop for directions. Eventually, at a gas station, the wife tries to ask for directions from the clerk, and the husband beats the clerk to death with a hockey stick, because it's Canada. In the thrilling climax, the father finds the hotel, only to find that he had made reservations at a different Motel 6. Oh, no. The film ends in a shot of the wife and children staring at the minivan where the father sits. The mother is holding a hand-drawn map of directions to the motel. Suddenly... There's a muzzle flash in the car, and then blackness. <laughs> because it's Canada. Thank you, <laughs> Nick Pettigrew. Uh, hey, Nick, we like to intersperse the, the plugs into the last segment so we can end on a pop. Uh, Nick, 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 how can people uh, who have enjoyed Nick Pettigrew thus far subsequently enjoy him once this episode has ceased? Oh, boy. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, I think. Sometimes I do stuff up there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, one thing I want to plug is my son, Atticus. So if <laughs> in future years he sees this, you know, I've plugged him. Yeah. That sounds bad. That's not what I meant. I mean, he got a, he got a real solid 9 out of 10. I think, yeah. the, I think the Metacritic score might have been a 95 out of 100. He's, he's solid. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> solid review of baby. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Nick. We will certainly uh, have you back again sooner rather than later. You know, if you wanna, Allie. Uh, let's get your movie uh, synopsis. Oh well, I mean, I hope. Let's see if these two tie together. Uh, <laughs> Allie, uh, your movie, Rage Children. Mm -hmm. Rage Children. <laughs> 
A town full of children is driven insane by something that was said to them by the stranger who lives by the train tracks, played by Willem Dafoe. Tony Collette and Patrick Wilson play the couple who live in a big creepy house and whose daughter won't stop trying to stab them, so she needs to be restrained in a giant rocking chair. The daughter eventually breaks free and joins the other children, but not before she kills Patrick Wilson. Tony Collette escapes and goes to the train tracks, ready to kill Willem Dafoe with a pair of scissors. She approaches him and says, who are you? What did you say to my children? Willem Dafoe drops his hood and reveals two enormous compound eyes. He looks directly in the camera and whispers, bees like to eat nectar and pollen. Some bees store nectar in an elastic pouch in their gut known as a honey stomach. Roll credits. God damn it. <laughs> you, you couldn't have laid it out more clearly and we still <laughs> fell for it. <laughs> I just thought that was a really neat fact that I learned today and I wanted to make sure everyone knew about it. <laughs> oh, man. God. Oh, thank you, Allie. And thank you. Thank you, Michelle Petro. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Allie, where can where can people enjoy uh, you and what you're about uh, in the online worlds or, you know, in person, but probably not mostly online? Yeah, don't come near me in person. <laughs> it is a pandemic. Um, but uh, if you want to read my weird jokes, uh, I'm mostly on Twitter at A underscore Ruben, R-U-B-I-N, not like the sandwich. Hmm. Nice. I guess I should have looked uh, for Twitter. I just went with your your instagram sorry oh, that's fine i think that's <laughs> ae ruben 489 so you can also probably steal my identity oh no on that <laughs> oh. oh sorry we built that up uh, <laughs> thank you Allie. uh we will be uh in touch directly uh, thank you for having me <laughs> yeah no it was great i was so happy uh always always enjoy when we get really fun uh newcomers and technically Nick's still a newcomer. This is only his second time. That's crazy. Yeah. Crazy, guys. Uh, wonderful show. Christiana, where can people enjoy Christiana? Before we get to your, your bit here and you get us out and we all go home. That's how we do it, Nick. <laughs> uh, mainly just here. <laughs> That's fine. When I'm doing this, I, I do nothing else. I stay home because I don't want to die from COVID <laughs> yeah, or kill that. anybody else. Um, you can find me on Instagram at East That Quilts, where I post almost exclusively content about quilts mm -hmm. and the YMCA, um, and that's about it. You can give us money at the YMCA after you get done giving money to Stab Comedy oh. Theater. Whatever you have left, give to the YMCA. <laughs> Stuff out there for the arts and the nonprofit world, friends. Yeah. Um, that's where you can find me. Not in a whole lot of places, just just here. That's all right. We're happy to have you whenever we can. <clears throat> Glad you uh, you you really really made it very clear that you had to be on this episode with Nick. Uh, <laughs> I did. I I demanded it. I'm not. She did. I'm not not proud. I'm not <laughs> any too proud to beg. Nick. I was yes. I required it, and I thank you for making it happen. No, I'm happy. This has been a very fun evening. Yeah. Happy to, be to with help. both Nick and Allie. Well, I knew Nick was going to be on, and then when Allie was on, that was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> very exciting. This was crazy. I think uh, this works. I feel like this oh, yeah. should happen again. <laughs> Just going to plug that right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> no. 12 episode commitment. 
for sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's mid-season. Don't go crazy. Uh, <laughs> Pick up the back 13. <laughs> All right, Christiana, let's... <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Uh, let's bring this to a close. Uh, movie makeup. Give us your synopsis for drawing grandfather. So this genre bending romp through the subconscious of an unemployed Arabian thoroughbred horse is an allegorical tale of deliverance and forgiveness told through the eyes of an orphan Chechen soldier manifesting his inner B. Arthur. Golden Girls, not Maud. As he reclaims her metaphorical life's purpose as, to use an analogy, judge and jury, enigmatically speaking. With a CGI, Russell Crowe as the grandfather and Katie Holmes as a Chechen soldier. Oh, you thought it was a boy Chechen soldier? Great, sexist. The Oscar prize is already high as audiences avoid spoiling the big question, who is drawing grandfather and where are his four quarters? Opens Christmas Day. <laughs> Christiana. Taking us in a direction we didn't expect to be drawing, Grandfather. Uh, and stab is over. Please, one more time, everybody hearing my voice, unless you're driving, I guess. Put your hands together for Nick Pettigrew, Ali Rubin, and Christiana. Uh, if you like what you heard tonight, and there's zero chance you haven't, why not check out the other 240 episodes of The Stab Show for your listening enjoyment? I know, it's crazy. Uh, on, on your chosen podcast platform, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or of course, Podknife. And if you can't wait for, for me to get around to editing episodes, and there's zero chance that you can, check out the live broadcasts of The Stab Show on Stab Comedy Theater TV every Thursday night at 8. Uh, with so many options, you can scarcely swing an internet connection without hitting a stab show. And so, that's all for tonight. Until next time, I've been Jesse Jones, and you have been firm but fair. Good night! <laughs>